Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Dobiak. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Hello, and welcome to the Halloween edition of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. And today's show is designed to make you not afraid of your money. We'll look at the stock market and why it goes up and down. We'll look at financial legislation and the way it impacts your bottom line. In the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we look at making sure to get your money where it needs to be beyond the grave. And then finally, in the Ask Peggy segment, I'm going to help you understand how to make your money not scary. So let's get started with the Bulls and Bears Market and Economic Update, and this is for the week ending October 25th, 2019. And the market really wasn't very scary last week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average went up a little less than three-quarters of a percent, while the S&P 500 went up a little less than one and a quarter. The NASDAQ went up just a bit under two. Gold even got in on the act, going up a little less than one. Crude oil went up 5.46%. And the 10-year Treasury yield is now at 1.796%, and even it is up 6.44%. So make sure you tune into next week's show when we talk more about what the Fed is going to do on the next potential rate increase next week. But this in, in today's show, I want to talk just a little bit about what's going on in Hong Kong. Remember that the Chinese economy and the Hong Kong economy are actually quite different. Because forever, Hong Kong was completely independent of China. Now, technically, it's part of mainland China, but it's still considered a, sep- a separate economic region. So when you look at Chinese economy, you look at mainland economy, and you look at Hong Kong economy. And right now, there's an expectation that Hong Kong is in a technical recession. Now, a technical recession is a recession that matches the definition of what a recession is supposed to be. And that is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Sometimes you'll hear that explained as negative GDP or gross domestic product. So Paul Chan, the Hong Kong financial secretary, is saying that there's the expectation now that Hong Kong's actually in a recession. And it's from a number of things. First, the U.S.-China trade war has really messed up the Hong Kong economy. And mainland China's economic slowdown has as well. But the Hong Kong protests are really seen as one of the key ingredients in what's caused this recession, with a slowing in tourism, a slowing in retail sales, 
where everything in Hong Kong has been disrupted for so long because of the protest. Now, interestingly, I think it was about a week ago, there was a reversal on the policy that had led to the protests in the first place. So it does look like the protests helped establish maybe a little bit more, a little bit more of a strong footing for free rule. I'm, I'm hesitant to call it democracy because it is still technically part of mainland China, but a little bit more free autonomy for Hong Kong than the direction it looked like it was going. You know, Hong Kong has always called its own shots. And suddenly the head of Hong Kong was like, no, we're, we're going to defer and, and we're going to send people to China if something goes wrong. Well, that went over badly among the Hong Kong citizenry. It looks like they won. And it looks like in the process, it threw Hong Kong into a bit of recession. That might not be the worst thing to encourage Hong Kong to stay slightly more free. So that's really the biggest economic news of the week. I also want to talk a little bit, since we're talking about the market, of how to make your portfolio not as scary. And one of the ways you do that is by reviewing your risk tolerance. Remember that risk is the potential that you're going to make a negative return. It's also the potential you're going to make a positive return. In order to make return, you have to take risk. You know, we never talk about upside risk because upside risk is when we make money. But the minute you have upside risk, you automatically incur downside risk. So take some time to look at your risk tolerance if this Halloween you're very afraid of your portfolio. Remember to take into consideration the time horizon of your financial need so that typically needs that are coming up in the short term should have less risk in the portfolio than needs that are many years out. Because one of the key ingredients in managing risk is how much time do you have to fix a situation if it goes wrong. So by thinking about that, remember that you also may want to have different risk tolerance levels for different pools of money. So that if you have a child who's going to college in three years, that might take a lower risk tolerance level than your own retirement that might still be 25 years in the future. So just remember, it isn't like a one-size-fits-all, even for you. So take some time to look at that. Look at any circumstances that have changed. Has your financial condition changed as the result of external circumstances? Because your financial condition impacts your risk tolerance level as well. Make sure that your asset allocation actually matches your risk tolerance level. So if you have a moderate risk tolerance level, is your portfolio a moderate portfolio? And I don't really have time in today's show to go into that many details. So talk to your certified financial planner practitioner. Make sure that your portfolio and the risk level it's at matches your own risk tolerance. I see that happen all the time. 
And it happens for a lot of reasons. Mainly, when you fill out the survey, you kind of fill out the answer you think people expect to hear, but it doesn't actually match your own internal risk tolerance. Yet it's probably not your financial professional's fault, but it's really easy for those two things to be out of sync. Additionally, look at any retirement projections that you're doing. What's the growth assumption of the portfolio in those projections? Now, look at your real portfolio and do they match? That's a risk tolerance issue. If you've made an assumption in your retirement growth that isn't in your portfolio, you won't match your goal, and it's really important to make sure that matches. Finally, if you don't match and you've made a higher rate of return assumption in your retirement projection than where you really are, you have several options. First of all, you might try to save a little bit more money every month. You can get to the same place with a lower growth rate if you can save a little more. Or maybe you want to extend your retirement date by five years or six years. Again, check the math, make sure it works. But the easiest way of reducing the amount you need for retirement is just don't retire then, because you get more years working, more years saving, and less years in retirement. Or you might consider tweaking your risk tolerance level up a little, but this is a decision you need to make very carefully. If you're way off target, don't just increase the risk in your portfolio without considering your other options, looking at the situation, and deciding what will work best for you after you've talked to your financial professional. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Halloween edition of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. And today, in the legislative update, we're asking the question, is the SECURE Act dying? You may remember several months ago, I talked about the SECURE Act that has passed out of the House of Representatives nearly unanimously, and it went to the Senate, and there was a hope that it might be able to get pretty quickly through the Senate as well. Unfortunately, things have not gone as planned. So, Let's start by doing a little bit of review of what the SECURE Act is. The full name, of course, SECURE is an acronym because everything in Washington, D.C. is an acronym. The full name is Setting Every Community Up for Retirement Enhancement. SECURE Act. And it has a lot of really great components to it. If you remember back to the earlier show, there was one component I was a little concerned about, and we'll talk about that, but let's review some of the nice things that are in the SECURE Act, if it were, to go ahead and become law. First, it repeals the maximum age for IRA contributions, which is currently 70 and a half. Remember, if you have a IRA, you can't put money in it after you've reached the required minimum distribution age. And there's really no good reason for this. It would be possible to do the calculation with additions going in and then distribution still coming out. And given, too, that people are retiring so much later than they used to, the ability to continue to fund your retirement through your IRA makes a lot of sense. 
Additionally, it's raising the required minimum distribution age to 72, up from 70 and a half. So why do they leave that RMD in there? I get asked that um, question by people all the time. Why do I have to take money out? Well, remember that for most people, when they fund their IRA, especially if it's not a Roth, you fund in pre-tax dollars. So you get to take that contribution off your taxes when you make the contribution. Well, the IRS does not want to forego that revenue forever. And so they say, okay, fine, we'll let you postpone your taxes until, you know, right now it's 70 and a half. But at that point, we want you to start taking money out and then pay the tax on that money that you take out. And we're going to tell you how much to take out because we figure if we leave it up to you, you're not going to take very much. So raising that RMD age to 72 would really help people because that's two more years of growth on the money. And if people are still working, they don't really need the RMD yet. So that's a really great feature. It also allows long-term part-time workers to be part of a company 401k plan. It allows parents to withdraw um, $5,000 from retirement accounts within the year of birth or adoption for qualified expenses. This is a pretty cool component to it. And it wasn't until I went back and did some rereading about the SECURE Act that I even realized this was in there. So when someone has a baby, you know, babies are expensive, whether you give birth or whether you adopt. So that year, you can take $5,000 out of the account penalty-free. That's that 10% early distribution penalty. You'd still have to pay your taxes. So it's not like you get $5,000 with no strings attached, but they do let you have it without having to pay the penalty, and it's fair enough. They let you defer the taxes as long as it stays in there. You take the money out, you pay the taxes. Also, parents can withdraw up to $10,000 from 529 plans to repay their own student loan debt. That helps, um, yet it's kind of a funky use of a 529 plan, but I know so many people drowning under student loan debt, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. Possibly the most interesting piece of this plan, especially if you're a small business employee or small business owner, is this plan allows different companies, small businesses, to pool together to create a pooled 401k plan. The advantage of that is 401k plans are really expensive to implement. When I'm talking to people, you've got to have considerable resources in order to be able to pay for the 401k plan, even, even easy ones. You know, so a lot of times people just move to the simple because it's much cheaper. Unfortunately, with the simple, the contribution levels are a lot less. So pooled 401ks would be a really interesting component. Now, the only piece of the, of the SECURE Act that really sort of got my attention in a bad way is the ability to put annuities inside of 401k plans with a lot of the restrictions lifted. Right now, there aren't as many annuities inside of 401ks because of all of the testing 
and all of the concern about meeting a fiduciary duty because annuities can be expensive. Annuities in and of themselves are not bad vehicles, but a lot of individual annuities can have a lot of expenses that can be really hard for the plan participants to see or just the owner to see. So by, you know, loosening up the 401k market to the annuity market, I see this as a huge win for the annuity business model. I'm going to kind of reserve judgment there because it could be a great thing. There is some area for potential concern. You know, business owners are really going to have to look at this and make sure that it makes sense. Make sure that the fees make sense. Make sure that the rules make sense so that the investment options for the plan participants still do hold that fiduciary duty. You know, whether it's the law or not, it's really what the business owner ought to do. But overall, it's a really interesting plan, and it passed the House almost unanimously, and it was anticipated to go to a um, quick vote. They were looking for a unanimous consent vote that was put forward by Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and they didn't get it. There were three holdouts in the Senate who refused to do a unanimous consent vote. Originally, the SECURE Act had a piece in it that allowed 529 plan money to be used to pay for homeschooling expenses. That was taken out. It's really difficult to identify what a homeschooling expense is because many things can, can dress up as expenses and maybe they are, maybe they aren't. In any case, that component was taken out and the biggest holdup at this point in the SECURE Act moving forward is Senator Ted Cruz of Texas who wants that piece put back in. So it's not going to pass by unanimous consent, which means now it's probably going to get tacked onto another piece of legislation later in the year. What looked like an easy slam dunk hasn't turned out to be that. The SECURE Act may in fact be dying, and I will keep you up to date on the progress of it as it continues. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Halloween edition of Ask Peggy About Your Finances. And today in the Plan Your Prosperity segment, we're talking about sending messages from beyond the grave. Actually, it's not as difficult as a seance, and you can write those messages while you're alive, and you can make your loved one's lives so much easier if something happens to you. We talk about creating estate plans often in financial planning. And you know, we talk about the documents you need. We talk about powers of attorney. We talk about living wills or advanced directives. We talk about plain old wills or trusts. And, you know, how do you handle all of those? But there is a document that I don't hear discussed often. It's not a legal document. It's a document you can create yourself over the course of two or three days, and the creation of it can save everything. What am I talking about? I'm talking about writing down a list of your assets. So when my mother was very sick, I had this vague recollection that she had an insurance policy. 
I couldn't remember any of the details about it. I thought it was related to her work. I knew she had told me many years ago not to forget this because it was important. And of course, I forgot it because it was many years ago. Well, I was able to run it down by calling the HR department of the company where she worked. Had I gone ahead and looked inside her will, I would have seen a little handwritten note from her that said, Peggy, don't forget about the life insurance policy at Anadarko Petroleum. Love, Mom. You know, it was nice. It was really the last message I ever got from her. If you will take the time to write down everything you have. So, I mean, the easy things are your investment accounts. And sometimes you have the big investment account that you deal with. Then you've got like these little stray stragglers. Maybe they're old 401k plans from different employers. Maybe it's an IRA you started when you were 25 and you never put any more money in it. Okay, think about it. Really get all of that organized. Write down the custodian of the account, the account number if you have it, And what kind of an account it was. Is it an IRA? Is it a plain old investment account? Is it a 401k? If you can't get it any further than that, that will at least give your family a clue where to go starting to look for those accounts. Of course, what you really should do is contact all of those companies, get all of that information, make sure it is part of your estate plan already. Part of those issues go away. You also might have a lockbox. You need to tell somebody where the lockbox is. Maybe you have oil rights. Maybe you have patents. Maybe you have copyrights. Maybe you have trademarks. You may have all sorts of different things. Maybe you've got two or three bank accounts at two or three different banks. You need to make a master list. Now, the final piece that I haven't heard anyone else talking about is you need to make a list of your computer passwords. There's some banks out there that actually only exist online. And if you've got a CD or something at an online bank and you don't tell anybody where it is, maybe it'll somehow get to your heirs and maybe it won't. So it's super important to write that down, and I know that's a pain in the neck. So maybe you create an Excel spreadsheet or you create a big piece of paper and you just cross that password out and write down the next one. I've seen so many times where people had done a great job creating an estate plan, maybe even had this list, but their loved ones couldn't log into the computer because they didn't know the logon and password, and they knew there was information on that computer that they needed. So make sure that you do that. Now, once you have this list, you have options. You can give the list to two or three heirs, or you can keep the list yourself in a very specific location in your house. And you can tell the heirs where the list is. You can also tell your estate attorney or your certified financial planner where the list is. You know, for my clients, a lot of times I have copies of their documents. I don't have the originals, of course. Those are on file. But I have the copies. 
You do need to be careful that you don't do something where you're giving away a password to someone who's not supposed to have it. So maybe your logon and password list should be a separate page. You're not actually giving your financial planner your logon and password to everything because that could be a risk level and might actually get the planner in some regulatory issue. But I have the list of where the documents are. I just don't have the logons and passwords. I am absolutely convinced, though, that that logon and password list is something you need to make because I see it blow up time and time and time again. So if you're very private, don't tell them how much they're inheriting. Don't give them like your entire life history and where everything is, but put together that list and tell them where the list is. And then when they need to be able to find it and Whether we like it or not, they will need to find it someday because there are two things that we know we're getting, and that's death and taxes. They'll be able to do it. You don't want what almost happened to me with mom and the insurance policy where, in fact, we lost the resources and we never got them back because had I not had both the note from her and the ability through my power of attorney to call her HR department, we could have lost that life insurance policy. It wasn't a huge amount of money, but it was a good-sized amount of money. I mean, I certainly wouldn't have wanted it to get lost in the cracks. So do this. This is the best gift you can give your loved ones. You create it now. It's a gift after you're gone. You can change their lives and you will save them an enormous amount of stress at a time that they need it the most. Thank you to Sports Talk 1400 and Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy segment of the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. This is my favorite part of the show. This is the opportunity for me to answer questions that I either hear specifically from you or I hear often from other people. So if you would like to submit a question to the show, go to askpeggy.com and you will find a place there to submit the question. That's A-S-K. P-E-G-G-Y dot com. I'll get a little information from you because I'll probably want to talk to you, make sure I understand all the details, and then that will let me craft an answer for the air that is educational for the listeners. You know, we say this is educational, not investment advice. Well, it has to be educational because for me to give investment advice to a radio audience, I'd have to know everything about all of you, and I don't, and I can't. So you always should listen to what I say and then run it by your own financial team. Make sure it would work for you. So in the Halloween tradition, today's question is, Peggy, I'm so afraid of my financial future, I don't know what to do. I get this question at least every two weeks. People are terrified of their money. So the first step that I want you to take is to start saving an emergency fund. And an emergency fund does not have to be an instant six-month savings. Just start saving money every month. A little money in the bank will get rid of a lot of financial fears, and it might help you avoid credit card debt so you could just pay for something that came up rather than having to put it on the card. 
Additionally, always work with a financial professional who is a fiduciary, someone who has the legal standing that makes them put your interest ahead of their interest. This has been a huge conflict in the financial services world recently. And many people who we were trying to make them act like fiduciaries no longer have to, you as the consumer can drive this conversation. If consumers require a fiduciary standard, then the legislation will follow. Know what you own. If you own an investment portfolio, talk to your financial professional and find out why you own it. What is it? Why is it there? Look at what you're paying for your investments. You may be paying fees. You may be com paying commissions. There may be fund fees inside of your portfolio. So there can be several layers. Understanding what you're paying, again, takes a lot of the fear away. If you have a company retirement plan, especially if there's a match, participate in it. That's free money from your employer. So if you put in 3% and they put in 3%, that's 100% return on your money just from their match. So do your best to participate in any match in your employer plan as much as you can. These steps won't get rid of all of your fear, but it will help. Happy Halloween. See you next week. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.